You are listening to Overcomers Church International Podcast. Here at OCI, we are dedicated to our vision of building strong people and building strong churches. From wherever you are listening, we hope that this message leaves you equipped and encouraged. So we're going to, if you want, you get your Bibles and you want to turn to John chapter, we could go to John chapter three. We're going to read the most famous verses of all. And I have a, a reason for starting there. I just really felt impressed to the Lord. I'll start, stop stalling and just share. She'll get here when she gets here. But, you know, she was just talking about the love of God. Um, I just felt like the Lord really, right before she had started saying that, I just really had this sense that the Lord just said, just talk about my love tonight. And, um, you know, for me, a lot of you know my testimony, uh, just the way that the Lord has really shown me his love and in a very real and tangible way. And, you know, the thing is, when it comes to the love of God, it's one thing to have knowledge of it. It's another thing to experience it. You know, my kids could be told that that I love them. You know, I could tell them that I love them. But it's another thing when they experience love from me. And so it's the same thing with the Lord. We should experience, we should have an actual experience of God loving us because he's not just, you know, just a spirit floating around up there somewhere, or he's not just some God in heaven that created us and, you know, doesn't care about us, but we're, we're his most prized creation. And so I was just saying, when you were talking about the, the love of God right before that, the Lord had just spoke to me and said, I want you to minister on my love tonight. And so in, partic- in particular, um, now Liz and I, we shared this on our live Saturday, Saturday morning. Did anybody not watch our live Saturday morning? You didn't watch. Did you all didn't watch our live? You did? Well, you're going to get a little bit of a, you're, it's going to be a second dose. Did you guys watch it? You watched it? Okay. Well, anyways, it's on my heart to do. So we're just going to do it. It'll come out different. There was a lot that we didn't get to share. We've shared these things before, um, but I really felt impressed of the Lord to go back in and, and talk about some of these things tonight. Now in John chapter three, um, and we, I love this. This is one of my favorite verses. And I, we really don't talk about it a lot because um, because it was talked about for so much, for so long, for God so loved the world. But if you just stop and think about this passage, it is one of the most incredible, pa- it's a, there's a reason why it's the most famous Bible verse. It really is the most incredible passage, I think maybe in the whole Bible. Now I have about 10 things that I say that about, but um, this one definitely, definitely is right there. And it says in verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that who ever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. First of all, the nature of God is love and the nature of love is to give. And one of the ways that we can tell whether we're receiving and reciprocating the love of God is if we're a giver. I'm not just talking about finances. It can include that, but I'm I'm really talking about, are we able to give, you know, give to people, give love to people. And because when, when for God so loved that he gave, if we so love, that's the result that we have too, is that we so give to people. And so that's, it's kind of like a litmus test for us, whether we're really operating in love or not. And, and, being in the love of God, if we're really walking in his love, we will find ourselves giving out to other people. You know, my, uh, my sister, you know, Katie, uh, she told me one time, uh, many years ago, she said, 
And I, this kind of hurt my heart a little bit, but I needed to hear what she had to say. She said, you know, if you're frustrated with somebody, she said, you'll, you'll, you'll pull back and withhold from them. And that it wasn't intentional that I was doing that, but I found myself or she found me doing that and she called me on out on it. It's always great to have a sister that will do that. But she's like, you know, you'll withhold love from people because um, you've got something in your heart and, you know, you're, you're just not walking in love right or whatever. And, and uh, I don't think it was that I was offended, but it was that I knew that I needed to address something. And so instead of just still being able to love them until I address the situation, I would pull back from them. And it really was a reflection about where I was at in my love walk with the Lord. For God so loved that he gave. And the Lord, the thing is, is that the Lord has seen our problems. Like you could say he's had a problem with us for a long time but not a problem to the, to the point that he stops his, his love from being extended to us. And then verse 17, here's, here's, this is even better than verse 16. It says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And it's cool because it says that it's through him. It's not just through some means. It's not just through some sacrifice. It's not some through a, you know, a, a gift or a list of, um, things that people could keep, but it's through him. John says this earlier in the book of John. He says that, uh, that hello, um, he said that the law came through, through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. This is verse 16 of John 1, excuse me, verse 17. And it says, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And so this is personal for the Lord. Every, his sacrifice and everything he did was personal. So now when we come into the Lord, we have the, a mentality that needs to change. And Liz and I talk about this, and really this started to change in you, and then you helped me get a hold of this. And it's to where we step over into, you know, be, becoming and thinking like a son. And every day I'm stretched in this area to think different than how I've been thinking before. And I know you are too, and we talk about this a lot personally. So this is something earlier uh, this year, we were ministering somewhere and the Lord just downloaded this message. So we ministered it when we were away. We ministered at church. We just ministered this, this past Saturday morning. And then when we were up worshiping, I felt like we should step back into this a little bit and talk about, and just talk about sonship. Do you have anything you want to say about all that? Before we jump I mean, in. The, this is truly a powerful um, revelation, and it is something that we're we're constantly needing to renew our mind to, because in our natural just flesh, it's really easy to think um, like a a pauper, like not necessarily a son or a daughter. And we have to just renew our mind to the fact that we are sons and daughter and that we have stinking thinking, so to speak, that is, is telling us opposite of actually the truth, which is we're a son and a daughter. And um, last year I was reading something and the Lord just began to, I, I was dealing with some fear on the inside and he said, you don't have a revelation, a greater, you need a greater revelation of your sonship, of, of being my daughter, because if you had, you know, if you were thinking correctly, then you would realize that 
that you're not or that you're you think you're orphaned, but you're not an orphan. Mm-hmm. You're my daughter. Right. And I was like, Lord, I don't I don't want any orphan thinking at all. I don't want any part or places in me where there's where I'm thinking lack, where I'm thinking not like a daughter. So begin to reveal to me, begin to show me places that I'm I'm just thinking lesser than I ought to. And it is really, you know, it shouldn't amaze us, but, you know, it'll amaze me that he'll just pour his love and just show you places where you are, where you're lacking. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Um, I want to look at this. As a matter of fact, let's go to this passage. Let's go to Romans chapter eight. Romans chapter 8, and I'm going to go to verse verse 14. And, you know, when you talk about, like, areas where we're lacking, you know, one of the things that we need, we need to do is we need to be led by God. I really believe that if we're, if we're led by the Lord in our life, he's, he won't lead us into lack. Anybody that finds himself in lack and they're like, Jesus brought me here. It's like, no, Jesus didn't bring you here. You might have brought you here. The devil might have brought you here. But it wasn't God. And when we follow the Lord, that's when we step into abundance. And I don't just mean like money and stuff. I can include that. But I mean like in us to where we're overflowing and we're overfilled and things are going well with us. And in verse 14 of Romans chapter 8, it says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Now, I used to read this and think, you know, when, especially when I was at a time when I felt like I was having trouble following the Lord, then he's not, a, if we're having trouble following the Lord, it's, it's not because he's a poor leader, it's because we're a poor follower. And so I found like I was a poor follower and I thought, Jesus, it says that for as many as are led by the spirit of God, these are the sons of God. And I don't feel like I'm being led by you. Am I not your son? And that's actually, that's not what he's saying here. He's really what it's saying here, I really believe, is that it being led by him is fruit or shows forth that you know that you're his son. And so it's just like, you know, whenever you, you have a kid and they first come into the world, they're, they're a brand new baby. Well, that baby doesn't know how to follow you. And even, you know, once they turn, you know, like one year old, they start to learn and two and three and four and five. And the older they get, the better they learn how to follow, follow their, their parents' lead. It's just proof that they are the, the, the uh, child of the parent, right? And so that's what this is saying here. It says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. So if we're not being led by God... I don't believe that it's saying, again, that we're not a son or a daughter of God. I think that it's saying that we need to grow in our ability and our availability to be led by God. And so then it goes on to this, and I believe that this is really foundational for for stepping into sonship. Because that's the thing. It's like once you get once you get saved. You know, there's two pictures that are involved with getting with getting saved, getting right with God, getting, um, you know, coming into God's family. And one of those is getting born again. And the other one is getting becoming adopted. And both of those things are true. Now, in the natural, all of us, whoever we call mom and dad, they either adopted us or they uh, they birthed us. Right. We're, We're natural descendants of them. One of the two is true. Both of them would not be true. But in the kingdom. Both things are true because Jesus told Nicodemus, he said, you can't, you can't enter into the kingdom of heaven. He said, first of all, you can't even see it unless you've been born again. And then he said, you can't enter unless you've been born of water, meaning natural birth and born of the spirit. 
you know, being born again. And Nicodemus is like, what are you talking about? How can I enter a second time in my mother's womb? Like he didn't, he's imagining like, I'm a full grown man. I'm not going to, I'm not going to fit. Right. And so, um, you know, but Jesus said, Jesus said, no, you have to be born again, meaning that your spirit has to die and has to be resurrected to be born again. So we, it is true that we are born into the family of God. And the benefit to that, the understanding of that is that we have the DNA of God running through our veins. You know, this is, this is Kingston's my son, you know, and Liz's, Liz's son and Jonah and one of her sons and Elijah, and then the smallest ones back there. And, um, but he has running through his veins. He has our DNA. He has our blood, if you will, running through his veins. And so be it good, bad, or indifferent. Of course, I'm just a, a natural person. Be it good, bad, or indifferent. He has that running through his veins. Well, spiritually, because we've been born again, we have the spiritual DNA of God running through our spiritual veins. And come on. That's, that's pretty incredible. Our our heritage, or you could say our, um, our biological, our spiritual biological makeup is made up of God. If you could, if you could take a blood sample of your spirit, man, it would have the DNA of God in it. If you could take God's DNA and take your spiritual DNA, it would be a DNA match. They would say, yeah, you're God's child. That's incredible. Now that comes from being born, but the adoption is more closely related to how the Lord thinks about us. Because, you know, when it comes to giving birth to a child, like people accidentally get pregnant all the time. You know, of course, the Lord didn't accidentally begot us. I mean, it was very intentional, right? But when you go to adopt somebody, there's no accident involved in that. It costs you time. It costs you money. It's great sacrifice to adopt a child. And when the Lord came and he adopted us, because remember, both things are true in the spirit. When he adopted us, it showed on his behalf how much he really cared about us and wanted to have a relationship with us. You know, I've seen and we've seen, you know, rough pe people that are grown up in rough, uh, you know, have childhoods and stuff and their parents didn't want them. They were rejected. And, you know, they'd hear things like you're a mistake and you were never meant to be things like that. And God would never say that about us, of course. But the fact that he chose to adopt us is proof that he wanted to have relationship with us. So for us, this is very closely related to us because all of us were in the world are in yeah, the family of the world, if you want. And then we got, we were orphaned is what we were. We weren't in any family. And then we got adopted into the family of God. So being in the family, that's not a problem. That's, that's not an issue. All it takes is faith. Jesus, I need you. I want to be part of your family. He's like, yes, I welcome you. Come on in. Remember, he stands at the door and knocks. And so he, he that's the easy part. The tough part is what happens here to get us to think like we're in a family. So it's one thing to step into sonship. It's another thing to walk like you're a son. It's two, total, it's two totally different things. And people that live at a low level of, you know, woe is me and I'll never have this and I'm always going to be this and, blah, 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 and nobody likes me and all this stuff. It's, it's really, it's equivalent to like a prince who's laying in the gutter with a really wealthy king as a dad begging for food. He has a royal identity, but doesn't know the royal identity that he has. 
And the Lord would say to us, I want you to know my love for you so you can step into all of the benefits that I have for you concerning the adoption that I've given you. Man, that'll preach. So this goes on to say in verse 15 of Romans 8, it says, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. You just mentioned fear. But you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, or Daddy God. And so in other words, we are not supposed to be brought back into any kind of bondage at all. And we could go through and we could list we could list every bondage that we could possibly think of. And anything that binds us doesn't belong to us. Now, it doesn't define us, but it's not, it's, it doesn't belong to us. We're not called to live in bondage. And really, the people have got a lot of like external problems. Religion faces um, or, or deals with the external problems. Oh, you're doing this. Oh, you're doing that. And you shouldn't be doing this. And you should straighten this out. No, 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 no. Man looks at the outward appearance, which is what religion does, but God looks in the heart. And God looks at the heart of people, and that's the thing that he's most concerned about. And so if there is fear there, if there is concern, if there's worry, if there's shame, there's regret, there's, I mean, just the list could go on and on of internal things that people have, even after being saved. Religion really cares about like, let's get the outside cleaned up so you look better around us, that kind of thing. The Lord's like, let's get the inside straightened out and the outside will fix fix itself. And so the Lord wants us to see that we're not supposed to have any bondage. And it's interesting because it says bondage again, again to fear. The truth is, is that every one of us at one point were in fear of something concerning being right with God, being in right standing. And we may not have called it fear, but there was something in us that said, I got to, things got to be right here. And then, and then a lot of people, they get saved and they don't get saved into biblical teaching on Christianity. They get saved into religious teaching on Christianity. It's a mixture of law and grace and all this stuff. And the Lord doesn't want us to be brought into more fear or into to thinking I'm never going to be accepted and what do I have to do? What hoop do I have to jump through? The Lord wants us to come in and automatically know we are loved and accepted by him. And because of that, we don't have any more bondage or any more fear. None whatsoever. And it's the greater the revelation of his love and our position in him, the less fear we'll have to deal with. Amen. Right, because perfect love casts out fear. You know, I had a picture one time when I was really meditating on this verse about how can this love push out fear? And I just kind of saw like a, a balloon being blown up. And as the balloon was bolt blowing up and it was expanding, then it was displacing all of the fear. Mm-hmm. So there wasn't actually any room for fear to be contained within that place of love. And I was like, oh my gosh, thank you, Lord. So it's not, it's, it's not getting rid of the fear. It's not focusing on what can I do to get rid of the fear? It's more focusing on how do I remain and abide in the love of God? And as I stay there, as I meditate on the love of my father, then fear has to go. 
It can't stay where love is. It literally can't stay. Two things cannot exist in the same place at the same time. So if fear is there, then love isn't. But if love is there, then fear isn't. And really that is the thing that will separate us or cause us to, to move or operate and, and this is when we're, we're not operating inside of love. But when we're operating inside of love, then everything else just it melts away. It really just melts away. When we're like, my God, he loves me. He died for me. And as we continue to think about those things, his great love for us, then the, everything else that doesn't that doesn't pertain to uh, love, it just goes away because it has to go away. Yeah, Amen. Now I'm looking for the verse. It's in uh, first. It's in First John, I believe it is, and it says, and you quoted this. It says that for there there is no uh, uh, fear involves torment. That's right. Yeah. Love has been. The I problem is, is that the Bible that I'm used to using is. Do you want my Bible? No, I'm not used to using your Bible either. But it's the same as your old Bible. It's not the same as my old Bible because I have notes in there and things that I don't have in this Bible or your Bible or anybody else's Bible. And so I'm having Bible anxiety. It's getting rebound. It's, what? Yeah, peace to me. Yeah, I should. it's not a good thing to confess that I'm having Bible That's anxiety. Right. I don't know. I mean, it's the Bible, so... Um, where is this verse at? It's First John four eighteen. I bet it's right there, isn't it? Yeah, here it is. Verse 17. Here we go. Thank you, Jesus. Um, it says, and love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. Now, let me stop right there. Why would we have boldness in the day of judgment? I mentioned this actually this morning, but it's one of the greatest travesties where people will get to the end of their life. Even my, we're not live streaming tonight, and so it's fine. She's dead anyways, but I, my grandma, right before she died, um, she she came, I, w I lived about two hours away from her, and she told my, my mom, and, and I mean, I had been to see her, but she told my mom, I really want to talk to Kent because... I went to Bible school, and so, no, that's not true. She died before we got married. No, no, she died before Elijah was born. That's right. We missed two of my grandparents' funerals because of marriage, marriage and then a baby. Okay, anyways, whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, and so, yeah, right before Elijah got born. Anyways, she, um, so I went and talked to her. She said, I, you know, I want to talk to Kent. And, and so here's this lady. Now, mind you, the song Amazing Grace, and I'm not dogging on my grandma, okay? I'm just saying. This is just where she was. The song Amazing Grace, she literally said, I do not like that song. Because you know the words, um, uh, uh, that saved a wretch like me. Yes, thank you. She said, I never have been a wretch, and I never will be. And so she had this self-righteousness about her that, you know, she just, she just thought that she was amazing. And so, but she gets to the end of her life. And she says, I need you to tell me, am, am I going to make it when I die? And I thought, here you have a, I don't know what she was at that point, 77, 78 year old lady 
asking her grandson if she was going to make it because after all of these years of professing to be a believer, she had no confidence in her salvation at all. She was not one. And I mean, I I would like to believe that she was born again. I think that she was. But on the flip side, she put a lot of stock in the works that she did. And if there's one thing that will send you to hell quickly, it's not sinning, it's self-righteousness. The Lord, the Lord has less mercy on self-righteousness than he does unrighteousness. And you can see this simply by, and I'm not, I'm not condoning sin and saying, let's just go live in sin. It doesn't matter. Sin will kill you. But when you look at the way that Jesus dealt with people, it was the self-righteous people. It was the Pharisees that he was so hard against them. Matthew chapter 23, the entire chapter is written pretty much about Jesus blasting the Pharisees. He said, you hypocrites. And as a matter of fact, the word hypocrites, it means uh, an actor. He got that word from people. It would have been like an open theater where he would have saw people being actors. And if you trace the Greek word back, whatever the Greek word is, it, it means hypocrites. It means they're pretending to be something. Man. So Jesus said, you hypocrites, you brood of vipers, you whitewashed tombs. And he goes on and on and calling them this stuff. Why? Because they were self-righteous. They thought that they were great in and of themselves, and they didn't need anyone to save them. They would even, they would even say, God, thank you that I'm not like this sinner over here. They would pray things like that. That's the thing that, that's the thing that will send somebody to hell. Not somebody who's made mistakes who says, God, I need you. I have to have you. That's the person that will find themselves in good shape with the Lord when they, when they cross over. Um, but anyways, it says, it says that uh, they'll have boldness. So let me read this again. Love has been perfected among us in this. It, it's been perfected among us. This is how you know that love has been perfected in you. Not that there's not room for growth, but it's perfected in us in this that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. This means that when you die and you go stand before the Lord, that you have confidence, first of all, as to why you're able to be before him and what will cause you to, to receive rewards from him. And it has everything to do with simply the, the fact that you've placed your trust in him and that he's the one that has saved you. You haven't saved yourself. As soon as you think that you, you're going you, to save yourself, you might seem bold a little bit while you're here on the earth, but when you, when you get into the presence of God, you'll find that your boldness will go away really quickly because you realize that all of, your, all of your good works don't even touch the bottom of God's feet concerning holiness. His level of holiness is so great. I'm convinced that this is why so many people don't actually turn and give their lives to Jesus is because they don't encounter God. I've had encounters with the Lord to where he showed up so strong in my room, so strong in my car, that all I wanted to do was hide because the holy presence of God was there. But now, and I'm not saying that I still don't shrink back and go, oh God, and there's many places in the Bible where people would say, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinful man. And it's because they'll start looking at their natural self in light of God's holiness and it's like, they're like, God, please just have mercy on me. Well, when you realize what Jesus has done, what God's done through the love of Jesus and the place that he's established us in him, we can have boldness in the day of judgment. But the boldness for me, it won't look like, oh God, let me tell you, Lord, I preached a lot of messages in your name. I prayed for a lot of people. I seen a lot of people healed. Lord, I really did it. It won't look like that. I'll say, God, 
Yeah, I did a bunch of good stuff for you, but none of that's good enough to save me. Thank you for saving me because without you and your saving grace, I would be nothing. That's how you can have boldness in the day of judgment. But then it says this, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment, but he who fears has not been made perfect in love. And then we love him because he first loved us. You know that fear, and if you want to know if you're in fear or not, are you, in, are you being tormented? Um, the Lord gave me a definition for, for fear. And I think that this really depicts sonship really, really well. Because if we're finding ourselves in fear, we've missed, we've missed an aspect of what the Lord has for us, what he wants for us. He wants us to have a confidence and be, just be in his love and not be afraid of things. But this is the definition the Lord gave me. It's, it's any thought that produces tormenting emotions based on speculation of what may or may not happen. Fear is all speculative. It's all looking into like, how's this going to work out? And how am I going to pay this bill? And what's going to happen here? And how's this thing going to happen? And what if these people don't show up? And what if things don't turn out? Like it's all based in the future and to the negative. And so we should have, um, we can look into the future with hope, but there is no hope in fear, right? And there definitely is no love in fear. Then there's no peace in fear. So fear is any thought that produces tormenting emotion or emotions based on speculation of what may or may not happen. And when the Lord just downloaded that to me one day, I was like, oh my goodness, I've been doing a lot of speculative thinking based on negative thoughts and that are producing torments, tormenting emotions in me. Anybody ever had some like tormenting emotions and you get, you get to the end of the, the day or whatever and you're like, what have I been thinking about? And here's the thing is that you can meditate on things without almost without even meditating on things like it's not in, it's not intentional if you're not intentional to be in the love of God then you'll unintentionally find yourself in fear it has to be an intentional thing of like God I am I am loved by you and you do care for me and I am your son and greater is he who's in me you God than he that's in the world and so on and so forth you do that to keep yourself out of that place of torment so you can just walk in the freedom that he has for you as a son amen hallelujah praise the lord because that, you know, that fear, it, it does, it just keeps you in bondage. And that's exactly where the enemy would like you to be, is in this place of bondage. Because he knows that only free people can lead people to freedom. That's right. And when we experience the freedom that we have because of the love of Jesus we literally are unstoppable. There can be nothing that could stop us. A lie of the enemy could come and it could be like, uh, no, I'm a son, I'm a daughter, I don't think so. Yeah. And you move on. It doesn't even keep you stuck or stayed in that place because you understand that you, and that's the thing, is that anytime fear comes or we're outside of the love of God, it, it automatically puts us under. And it puts us in this place of bondage. But we have been set free from bondage, and we are not people who should live 
tormented or underneath anything, when we get the greater the revelation we have of the love of the Father and of our sonship, the more powerful and effective we are because we understand who our Father is and then who we are because of who our Father is. And that is such a powerful and an effective place to be. And when we're operating in that place, we can go and we can see people who are in bondage and not living freedom and freedom, and we can pull them right out of that place and help them get situated in the love of God right where we are. And then we have all these free people. And so it's so uh, liberating. Whenever people see that you are liberated and that you're living a liberated life, that you're living inside a love of God, it auto, it like attracts people to you and they want to know how. How is it? Well, most of the time it will attract people to you. Sometimes people get jealous because they don't understand that they too also have opportunity that they can live as free people. And so they'll do whatever it is that they're going to do. So then that's when we can have more compassion on people because they don't really, they don't have a revelation like we have. They don't have an understanding that we don't have to live underneath that we don't have to live in this place of torment. We're not supposed to live on hell on earth or in hell on earth. We're supposed to live free and liberated experiencing heaven on earth inside of his love. It's like, I love what you have said in in the past. We shouldn't experience culture shock when we get to heaven. It should just be, oh my gosh, I've been experiencing the love of God right now in this place and I'm just going to get translated and continue expending or experiencing the love of God for all of eternity. We should experience God's love. We should experience our sonship, our, our daughtership now. We don't have to wait. We don't have to wait. It is available to us. I can remember as I was like getting this, um, Revelation, I was really seeking the Lord and I kept saying, God, how do I get there? How do I get there? How do I get to experience the kingdom of God? How do I get to heaven? I don't understand. I, and I wanted it so bad. And I, I wanted, like, I, I kept trying, like, okay, if I do this, then I'll be there. Or if I move here, then I'll get here. If I'll do, and I was like, I, I, I literally, I can't, I couldn't grasp it for such a long time. And then um, I was listening to a teaching and he was talking about Jesus came, heaven came. Jesus lives on the inside of us when we accepted him. So we have the presence and the kingdom of God now within us. So it's not a place or a position that we're trying to get to. It's a place and position that we already are in. And I was like, oh my gosh, I don't have to get anywhere. I already am a daughter of God. And it was that switch on the inside of me, that revelation that came to me. And I had this 
You know, it, w- it was just a revelation. I can remember I was walking the dog and I was like, thank you. I was like, I get it. I get it. Thank you, God. Hallelujah. And it's so freeing when you grab a hold of this revelation of your sonship that, and, and, and more than that, the love of God that is abiding with you, that you don't have to get to it. It already is in you. And when you know it's already in you and there's nothing that you have to do to get to it, it will just start coming out of you. And that is a place of rest and a place of peace. It's this place where we have boldness and then we continue to renew our thinking to where we already are. We are already seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. We are already inside of love. If you have the Lord, you can't get any more inside of love than you already are. But it's about knowing here in our mind that I'm already there. That's why I love, if you look in the word of God, it's so preposition heavy. It wants you to know where your position, that's why you'll see in and of and beside and within and you know be and I always think about that I am in the love of God I am in the kingdom of God I am a child of the living God it's already what I already have and what like It gives us such boldness to walk around with our shoulders back and with our head up high. This is where why we can see in Isaiah 60, it says, arise and shine. This is why Jesus would grab people's hand and say, will you get up? Will you rise up? Because I need you to know who you are and I need you to know where you are and that you are in this position and place that if you'll accept me, that you are arise. And now the glory of the Lord can be seen in you and upon you because you know whose you are. Yeah. Amen. That was all free. It was good. Um, well, we're going to land this plane here. Let me finish with this little passage here. This is so good. And this goes in with what you were saying. So I'm going to read, I'm going to read verse 10 and I'm going to come back. This is Colossians chapter two and verse 10. And I'm going to go back and read eight through 10. So it'll all fit, but it says "And you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. And you are complete in him. Well, if you're complete, I mean, you know what it means to complete something? It's, you know, if, if you have a race that you're running and you get to the end of the race, you have completed the race. If you're, you know, taking a test and you complete the test, you got right, it's done. And so this means that everything's done for us to be complete in him. Now, listen to this in verse eight. It says, beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit. You know, the, you can hear, hear a word like this. I'm preaching, we're preaching ourselves tonight just as much as anybody else. You can hear a word like this about the love that God has for you then about just your sonship and stepping into that can stir your heart. And you know, you can walk right out the doors and maybe it'll be okay for a little bit, but then by the next day or whatever, it almost seems like you lose the effectiveness of what you just heard. And it's because the enemy wants to steal the word from you. 
And he'll do that either just through trying to bring you discouragement or wrong thoughts or just lie to you or, you know, religious teaching or whatever it is. It says here, beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and here it is, you are complete in him, who is the head of all principality and power. Now here is, here is what happens after you receive a revelation like this. What the enemy works to do is to bring us, always bring us back into a system of works. I know this from my, from my own experience, but then I also know this from ministering to people, that sometimes it takes us a while to finally figure out like, oh, I don't actually have to work for God to love me anymore. He, he just, lo- it's like, like, it's a free thing. Like all the stuff, it's free. All I have to do is say yes, and then I'm automatically positioned there. It's because it seems too good to be true. Because it's like, it's like somebody comes to you, like if somebody in the natural came to you and they promised you all of this stuff, you would think, man, my heart wants that, but it's probably too good to be true. And you know what? If it, that's happening in the earth, it's probably too good to be true. He was looking at a truck the other day. And I was like, bam. And I said, I'm buying that sucker. And then as soon as I said that, because I was like, if you don't want it, I'll buy it. I mean, it was awesome. And I was like, oh, yeah. I said, if it seems too good to be true, it probably is. And he's like, yeah, this same truck is for sale in Kansas City and in Nashville and whatever, you know, these scamming people or whatever. So, so anyways, but when it comes to the Lord, it's not too good to be true. Like you would think it would be, but I think that we've been... Um, we've been trained by just like disappointment and things in this life that we think, oh, okay, it really can't be that great. No, it really is that great. He says, I'm going to save you. I'm going to clean you up. I'm going to seat you in heavenly places with me. I'm going to give you authority over the devil. I'm going to give you authority in, in, in just whatever area of your life. I'm going to give you a plan and a destiny. I'm going to seal your salvation with my Holy Spirit. And all of these benefits and blessings are available to you. And all you have to do is just say yes. I mean, what a deal. Now listen to this, but here's what happens. And so if you go on, what happens is that the enemy will, will come and try and keep us from really believing that it's really that good and try to add some kind of a little bit of something in there. You ever heard the story about the brownie and the dog poop or whatever, you know, and it's kind of like any, any form of legalism destroys the work of God's goodness. And it's like, you know, if you had, <laughs> some people feel like there needs to be just like religious people like, well, we've got to do a little bit here for I me. Mean, you got to do a little bit. I know you're saved by grace, but got to do a little bit. That's like having just a little bit of, like if I cooked a pan of, of, of brownies for you, and I mean, they're like, they look great, they're amazing, and, I, and you're like, oh, thank you. And I said, now, don't be alarmed, but there's just a little bit of dog poop in there. <laughs> would you go, oh, yeah, no problem. You'd be like, okay, yeah, I'm not going to be eating this, right? Everybody would do that. Well, when you take the grace of God, what he's done for you, if you put just even a little bit of legalism in there, it's like it messes the whole thing up. Because now you're saying, well, Jesus, you did like 99.999% of it, but I got to do just a little bit here to really be in good standing with you. That's all the devil. So look at this. 
Oh, let's just read from verse 11. Let me read a couple verses here. It says, In whom you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh. Made without hands, meaning he's the one that did it for us. By the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And you being dead in, in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. That sounds like a pretty good deal. He's forgiven us all. Does anybody have any trespasses in this room? Every hand could go up. We all have them. But here, listen, here's the meat and potatoes of this. Verse 14 says this, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. What is the handwriting of requirements that was against us? It was the law. It was any form of anything that says that you have to do this if you're going to be right. Jesus wiped all of that out, and it says this, and it says he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Do you know, now I'm going to quote somebody, and I'll let you go and study it out. I believe it to be true. There's a man named Derek Prince. He's gone on to be with, be with the Lord, but he was a phenomenal, he was really an apostolic teacher. He was, I mean, he had set really great precedent of good, strong, biblical, solid Christian doctrines for people to latch on to. And he made this statement. And I just read this recently. He said that Jesus did not nail your sins to the cross, as you might suppose. He nailed the law to the cross, because the law was the thing that was against us. Now, I know that, that Jesus took the, the sin in his body and he hung up on the tree. So in that sense, he did. But I'm just quoting you what Derek Prince said. And he said that he nailed the law to the cross. And when I read that, I was like, oh, my gosh, that's exactly what this is saying right here. The handwriting of requirements that was against us. You have to do this. 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 All of that stuff has been obliterated through what Jesus did on the cross. And it says having disarmed. You know what it means to disarm something? Have you ever seen one? Anybody seen Jason Bourne in here? You seen the Jason Bourne movies? Sorry. I'm oh, sorry. No, don't watch that movie. Okay. Yeah. But they're bad to the bone movies. I love those movies. And you know, like someone to come up to Jason Bourne with like a gun. And the next thing you know, you know, they're down on the ground flipped over with a broken neck. And so what he would do in those movies is he would disarm the bad guys. Jesus disarmed the bad guys. You know what the bad guys would do? Is that they would come in after you've been saved. They would come in and say, oh, okay, that grace stuff was really good. But you got to make sure you're doing this. If you're not paying your tithes, you're really not right with God. And you have some preachers standing up there saying a lot of good stuff, but then says that, and you think, oh my gosh, I'm missing something. No, you're not. You're right with God because of what Jesus has done, and all of the rules and the laws that were nailed to the cross, don't ever let any bad guy come and tell you, you got to do something to be in right standing with God, because Jesus has obliterated all that. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing, triumphing over them in it. And then it goes on to say, don't let anyone judge you in anything that you're doing. Because God has already judged you as right with him. He's already judged you as his, his child. And don't let anyone cheat you and rob you out of your inheritance. 
If God is changing your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. If you would like to give or would like more information on how we are making a difference, visit overcomerschurchinternational.com.